You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Good morning, Vine family. How are you? My name is Ben, and uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I'm a pastor at Eastside Church, uh, which actually was sent out from the Vine um, just almost exactly a year ago. So Michael McKittrick was here as a church plant resident. Uh, My wife and I lived in town, Uh, joined he and Heather, and we were sent out last fall, started services on September. And Vine family, we remain so grateful for you. Your love for God and joy in the gospel have been so instructive and encouraging to us. We love your heart for for church multiplication and, and want you to know that we receive it as a heritage to pass on as we seek to advance the kingdom by loving Jesus, living like Jesus, and speaking of Jesus in our neighborhoods and around the world so that others might do the same. So I'm excited to be here this morning just because being here is not simply giving one of your pastors respite, but um, while that is enjoyable, and we love to do that, Michael and I come by, preach to you occasionally, but this is the part of the first annual Madison Multiply Summer Sermon Series. Um, at least I'm hopeful it's first annual, uh, but this is a life of prayer, and so six pastors preaching one sermon each to three churches in rotation, and we just can't wait until... There are more churches, and it gets totally messy and complicated to try to figure out how to get it done. Um, but let's pray for that, shall we? More churches planted out of Madison Multiply this uh, year, next year, whenever God has planned. And so this morning, as we continue in this series, A Life of Prayer, we're going to focus our attention on the role that prayer plays and how we prepare for gathered worship, specifically how we prepare for Sunday mornings through prayer. We need to see that prayer is the anchor that stabilizes us in the seas of life as we come together as a church body. It's going to be a little different for us because this idea doesn't necessarily come from a single passage like we're used to. One of the opportunities in a sermon series like this that I enjoy is to explore kind of overarching ways and themes that work themselves out in Scripture. So this morning, we're going to do an overview of what prayer looks like in the life of a believer and seek to apply it very specifically to how we prepare for worshiping together. We're going to be in a few different passages, so feel free to have your Bibles uh, on hand or your Bible apps open. Um, But if you're a note-taking type, it might serve you better to kind of jot the majority of these scriptures down. You can revisit them later um, as you want to. And so let's begin... Before we look at a brief history of prayer, let me pray for us for our time in the Word together this morning. God, you are glorious. Just how sweet it was to sing together, though separated bodily, together in spirit, Father, and by your grace, we are learning to feel one another in this season, the nearness we have through the Spirit as we come to your presence. So God, we come now and we ask, would you Show us wonderful things out of your word. God, we want to grow our hearts and our understanding of what prayer is. We want to feed our minds with what it looks like to live for you. God, we want to inform just our daily practices with what it's like to live like Jesus. And so we pray, would you build your church this morning, God? 
Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and ask this. Amen. So the very beginning of prayer is recorded for us in Genesis 4, verse 26. It describes a time when people began to call on the name of the Lord. And this takes place only a little over a chapter after Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. See, prayer wasn't needed in the garden. Adam and Eve were created in God's presence, for his presence. They lived and worked in God's presence, but because of their sin, they've now been cast out of God's presence, destined to live a life of pain and hardship, working under the sun, toiling with much difficulty. If you remember, they used to go on nightly walks with God where they could talk about the day and, I imagine, be instructed directly by God in how to live for him, what his will was for their lives in a day-by-day kind of fashion. That would be really wonderful, wouldn't it? But no more after sin entered the world. Mankind's relationship with God by physical presence and proximity was broken. But then we come to Genesis 4.26. And so we get a little bit of the lineage in this verse to Seth, which is Adam and Eve's son. Also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. People are crying out to God in prayer. And this is, this is the beginning of what would be the substance of mankind's ability to connect with God throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Surely until Scripture was begun to be written down and circulated, first the Old Testament the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, followed by the prophets, Psalms, Proverbs, the Old Testament collected together, scrolls being sent out to the different villages. And then when Jesus became human and lived among us, he modeled a, a kind of communing with and depending on God through personal prayer by retreating privately to do so often. We've been in Luke as a church since September at Eastside, and it's just been so good to see Jesus modeling this regular prayer with God. And then after the Great Commission and Jesus' ascension into heaven, we see the early church quickly adopt the same practice. Acts 2.42 tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Early church worship was rich with times of prayer. Spiritual communication between God and people and these early church founders wanted to be together in God's presence as often and as richly as possible. As the church began to grow and spread, instructions from the apostles began to include much about the role of prayer in the life of a Christian. Paul urges the church in Thessalonica in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, to rejoice always. And continuing on in verse 17, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. These verses describe the worshiping life Christians are supposed to live. It's a spiritual life. And so it requires exhortation and warning and comfort and joy, thanksgiving, the pursuit of holiness and good morals while interacting with the world that you're living in. And arguably at the center, kind of uh, enabling it all, binding it all together, is this command to pray. It's needed for Christians in the early church, and it's definitely needed for Christians in the first century mid-pandemic church and everything else that's going on. Prayer is so important because it connects us to God 
and puts us in a position to be shaped by him, just like Adam and Eve's walks in the garden. I titled this sermon, Prayer Anchored Worship, to try to draw a connection between our lives as worshipers and the need for prayer through the image of a ship. Ships are powered by the wind, capable of moving large distances and heavy payloads over great water with freedom and fullness. But when a ship is near shore in shallow water, resupplying between voyages, there's a great danger of running aground or smashing on the rocks. It's in these times when the anchor is the most critical piece of equipment on board ship. A grounded ship is not easily moved. When it comes to our worship gatherings, we need to learn to anchor our worship by preparing our hearts through prayer so that as we benefit fully from this port in the stormy seas of life, this this rich harbor and haven that God has for us, And so let's now look to how prayer anchors our preparation for corporate worship. Because when prayer is our preparation for worship, we're going to see that it builds our excitement to be together, and it will set our expectations for being together. So let's look first at building excitement. How does prayer in preparation for corporate worship build our excitement for corporate worship? Well, as I mentioned already, the early church was eager to meet together often. We're told that they met daily for worship, as described in the Acts 2 passage that I read. And I think that sometimes we can just read that and let it kind of culturally just bounce off us of like, wow, they must have had like nothing to do. But I think their their excitement speaks of a different kind of a reality that they were living in. There's a radical shift that happens in Acts 2. It's not, it wasn't the norm for all of worshiping history because God, through the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, presences himself with his people once again. When the early church gathered, God was there. And in order to understand this a little bit more, we have to look back at how God's people had been experiencing worship in his presence. By doing so, I think we're going to see a major help for us as we seek to anchor our life of worship through prayer. See, worship rhythms for the Israelites were very different from what we experience today. Prior to Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to heaven, see, after being led out of Egypt in the wilderness by God, he presenced himself with his people in a unique way for the first time since the Garden of Eden by meeting with Moses in what was called the Tent of Meeting. And then giving plans and directions for a permanent structure to be built, still mobile, but something that was a little bit more robust, called the tabernacle. And as Israel grew, the tent of meeting was placed in Jerusalem, which was the place where God dwelled. And eventually the temple was built as the highest place for worship for God's people and the only acceptable place to worship in God's presence. What passed for corporate worship on a regular basis was the weekly reading of of what we have as the Old Testament along with teaching from a local rabbi. Not exactly like our sermons, but not necessarily unlike them either. But God wasn't present in those gatherings like he is here this morning. God's presence for the Hebrew people was located in Jerusalem, where the temple was. And so in order to worship God in his presence, they had to journey to where he was. And so there was this regular rhythm of journeying to Jerusalem, Year after year, and as the Israelite people did this, they composed some one of my favorite parts of the Bible, 
one of my favorite parts of the book of Psalms, the Psalms of Ascents. This is Psalm 120 through 134. And this is a place that I would like us to kind of turn in our Bibles. I'd love you to have it open as we continue. See, Jerusalem, the place where God dwelled at this time, is built on top of a mountain. And the temple is built at the highest point in the city, a place called the Temple Mount. So as you were journeying to Jerusalem, you were literally ascending. And even if you were in the city itself, you still had to ascend the Temple Mount. And because God's physical presence was manifested in a single place, everything regarding worship took place in a physical kind of dimension. These psalms were traditionally used during the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The journey had one purpose, to be with God by making sacrifices for sin and to worship him in his presence. Or as close as they could get, which was the courtyard just outside the tent where the priests alone served. And inside of that tent, there was an inner space called the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter once a year and is very regulated. The people prayed and sang these psalms as they ascended to Jerusalem. And over the years, I found good help in them as I prepare to gather with the church for worship. And so I just want to walk through what that looks like. So look at Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This reinforces the reality that God's not like us. He's a guardian who doesn't sleep on the job and who never will. Even now in the midst of this pandemic, God is at work bringing peace and hope where there is none helping all of those who he has adopted as sons and daughters to say to one another, Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, where else would we want to go? To whom else shall we turn? Our God has the words of eternal life, and he cares deeply about the inner workings of our days and our nights. Pastor Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is his commentary on the Psalms of Ascents, he says the following about the reality that was awaiting God's people in Jerusalem as they journeyed. He says, When you went to Jerusalem, you encountered the great foundational realities. God created you. God redeemed you. God provided for you. In Jerusalem, you saw in ritual and heard proclaimed in preaching the powerful history-shaping truth that God forgives our sins and makes it possible to live without guilt and with purpose. This echoes a lot of what uh, we're meant to experience when the church gathers today, doesn't it? God's heart for his people's experience of him and for one another in worship hasn't changed. If anything, we're better equipped now to take those truths and live them out because we're on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. The truth in these psalms rings for us today as they remind us that they're not going to an empty place, that we are not coming to an empty place to try to relate to something void of life and cold because we are going to a spiritual place. Instead, we're gathering with other people who've experienced the same life-restoring, relationship-writing, comfort-in-this-painful-world-giving God. 
And what would it look like, Vine family, to invite our hearts to prepare in a similar way as these Israelites for our worship? To call our hearts and the hearts of those in our households to grow our excitement for corporate worship through prayer that reminds us what God is like and what he has in store for us as we come to worship. These psalms of ascents are a great training ground for that. And as I was introduced to this idea, I began finding myself uh, on Sunday mornings often praying something like this. God, I'm feeling distressed. It's been a hard week. I've been hurt by relationships in my life. Would you restore me in your presence this morning as I gather with the church? Expecting God to move. God, I know you're my helper. You're more faithful to your character than a mountain is immovable. You always watch over me. Help me to believe that you're for me as I get out of bed, make breakfast, rally the family together, and go to be with the body. It can be so incredibly and inexplicably difficult to do that sometimes, can't it, parents? Not just fighting our own hearts, but what if instead of fighting with our flesh, we sought to align ourselves to God's heart by praying God's word? We pray prayers like this, I think, more often. Oh God, would you help me to have real joy as I interact with Nikki and the kids and the rest of the church? Would you build into our family a sincere response of gratitude that we get to worship with other believers this morning? That we could truly say with gladness to one another, let us go to the house of the Lord and to worship, even if that house is our living room for the time being. God, help me not eat the bread of anxious toil. I want to live a restful life, trusting that you are in control of everything and I am not. Help me depend more on you as a result of being with the church today so that I can lead my family for your glory and for their good. These are just a few examples of how God has shaped my heart to prepare, my, to prepare me for worship in light of the Psalms of Ascents. I don't do it perfectly by any means. I'm very much in process here and likely will be until I die. But as I've pursued this simple practice of prayer in preparation for worship, I've seen my excitement to get there increase. Because I know and believe that God is going to be present with his people, reminding us all afresh that he's created us, redeemed us, and will always provide for us. This practice has transformed the depth of my fellowship and worship that I experience when the church gathers. It has an effect on every mood and emotion that life can drum up for me. How we get to the gathering, family, is as important as getting to the gathering. It's the difference between securing your ship with a rope tied to a tree or a rock, relying on yourself, or dropping the anchor into the seabed in order to fully stabilize the ship at rest, drawing on the strength that God provides from being in his presence. There's another lesson that the Israelite people teach us just in how they view the daily hours. You might have read throughout the Old Testament kind of first watch of the night. See, for the Israelite people, the day began with sundown. And it was a sign reflecting Psalm 121 and the truth found there. God never sleeps. He's always guarding over us. And so we go to sleep first 
trusting that God is at work and trusting that we can wake with a fresh energy to then do the work of the day. We don't think of things that way, do we? And so just like we prepare for the day through sleep, we prepare to come together through prayer. And so let's just take an inventory right now. I don't think this is going to be hard to do, just given light of, of what's going on in the world. But think back over the past several Sundays. We've been in our homes for a long time. Amen? What was it like to prepare for gathering with the body? I know it's hard. We're not together physically. But that doesn't mean that the enemy or our sinful hearts are taking a break when it comes to disrupting the worship of God's people. So what was it like to get ready to get to the gathering? I can imagine that, that back when, when this was a three-week kind of a, a scope, that there was some kind of relief. I grab some coffee, stay in my pajamas, kind of mosey to the TV, and as time has gone on, I don't know about you, but my heart has found it harder and harder to engage. And I have to remind myself over and over and over again and pray, God, would you keep in front of me the goodness that you have as we turn on the TV again and navigate to the live stream? My prayer for us is that we would see how the experience can shift. And it can shift through prayer. Not a dependence on what happens when we get to the worship gathering. But a prayerful commitment to remind ourselves of the goodness of God as a preparation for the gathering. And that this will help our hearts to see a bigger vision of God and a diminishing vision of our ability to make something happen. Do you see it? Do you see how realizing that before you get to church will serve you as you're here? Even if it's here in this room, at some point in time, we pray in the future or continuing to be at home in smaller groups, families, households. Praying in preparation for worship builds our excitement and informs our expectations for what it's going to be like when we get there. And so now I want to turn. I want to talk about those expectations. I want to unpack how prayer prepares our expectations for worship. I think we all realize that we live in a consumer-driven society. It's really the only way to build the kind of wealth that we value. We love wealth almost more than anything else in our Western culture. Whether it's to have money to simply have more than others to be able to afford expensive houses, cars, trips, education. Maybe it's the desire for wealth in order to do less, to have freedom. However we slice our desire for money, it is there. And it drives how our entire society is built and operates. And I think there's some things being called into question even now as we move through this pandemic and there just seems to be this continuous separation of those who have and don't. But we're conditioned to prefer the places and the people who cater to our wants and our desires. And since our whole society is built on that, right? If they don't cater to what we want, well, there's another shop down the street who will. The big problem for us as Christians is that we've been conditioned to live in this kind of consumer-centric world, but it isn't at all how the kingdom of Jesus is meant to function. Specifically, it's not how the church is meant to function. 
The church is intended to be a community of saved ones who've been so impacted by grace that they regularly meet together, sell their possessions in order to ensure that no one goes needy, call out sin in one another's lives, minister to one another by carrying one another's burdens and speak the truth to one another, even if it means risking relationally and socially to do so. Instead of an increase of self-interest, there's a forsaking of self-interest in the Christian life. And nowhere is it supposed to be more prominent than when the church gathers all together for worship. See how Paul describes this kind of worship to the church in Colossae. It's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I like how Eugene Peterson renders this section in the message. He says, Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Well, if this is how we're supposed to function as a body, then there really isn't room for any self-interest, is there? And yet, I know in my own experience, since unfortunately pastors are not exempt from being sinful human beings, that I often review a Sunday based on what I got out of it instead of what I gave into it. The main themes on those Sundays is that I did not call myself to prayer in preparation for gathering with the body. I'm trying to operate in my own strength for my own benefit. I didn't set my heart's eyes on God's character and provision for my life, my salvation, and did not put myself in a position to trust him for my daily needs. I didn't allow the truth of that to help me realize that to image Jesus is to give myself away in worship. Not to just consume my favorite songs, hope for my favorite passages of scripture, or come for some kind of social and relational aspect, which I know is just lacking these days. We might be missing that more than ever. God might be exposing in your life more than ever what your relationship to the gathered worship was all about. And I wonder if one of the reasons why we struggle so hard at times to live for God in between Sundays is because we actually don't fully know what Sundays are for. Or at the very least, we don't feel like our experience lines up with what we think we understand about what church gatherings are for. See, gathering with the church is designed to train us for living for God throughout the rest of the week. It's why we model calling our hearts to worship with Scripture singing songs that are rich in scripture and biblical imagery, intentionally light on I statements and subjective responses. It's why we primarily preach through whole books of the Bible, confess our sins together before God, hear assurance that comes from God's word, display our reliance on Jesus' death, resurrection, and promised return for us through communion, celebrate that gospel in song, and then send ourselves again into mission with God getting the last word. This liturgy 
And I hope every liturgy that the church has here in the world is intended to be a microcosm of what the Christian life is supposed to be about. And the way we continue to engage with these practices is through a constant prayer, asking God to prepare us, sustain us, convict us, grow us, remind us by the Holy Spirit of his incredible love for us displayed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gain for us when the church gathers is in the giving of ourselves to one another. The kind of one anothering that we saw in Colossians 3. The kind of Christian life that we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we're best prepared to give when we've prepared our hearts through prayer to build our excitement and rightly set our expectations for what is supposed to happen when the church gathers. It's how we escape being dependent on our favorite psalm being used as a call to worship, which Psalm 19 is one of my favorite psalms. Or our favorite song being led by just the right way by the band. Or the pastor preaching using a perfect illustration that doesn't require any additional work to understand. Do you see how dangerous that is? Do you see how dangerous it is to just kind of mosey into the church gathering and just kind of hope that something that's going to happen is going to hook your heart and wake you up spiritually? There's danger there, family. Prayer aligns our heart to God's heart. The Apostle Paul knew this reality intimately. It's why he wrote down for us his pleas for God to remove what he called a thorn from his side in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes this, Three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is his response to God saying that into his life. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul's prayer, his crying out to God, led him to see his circumstances through God's eyes which in turn led him to see how God could get the glory and how Paul could get satisfaction through his situation. It's the same for us as we approach worshiping God with the gathered body. Prayer as a means of preparation aligns our hearts to God's heart and allows us to see his good purposes working out in real time right in front of us. The people we see on the way in, the voices we hear around us when we sing, the air of conviction as the word is preached, the tears while in line for communion. All of it is informed by the expectation that God is present and that we are called to empty ourselves for the sake of others. And family, those opportunities are closer than ever. They're in your living room. There's an opportunity for you to give out of the abundance of God's grace poured out in your life as the church gathers for worship, for instruction, Right now, today, prayer anchors us, just like a ship riding the ups and downs of the tide so that while docked, we can empty our stored-up gratitude, thanksgiving, and expectantly resupply for the voyage between our gatherings as those around us seek to do the same. Well, as we seek to 
apply this this morning as we move towards closing. One of the best parts about being a dad, and I am now a dad to five kids, um, we brought home Reed, our fifth, on the day that Wisconsin shut down, March 24th. That was a ride for sure. And so one of the best things that I love about being a dad, especially during this quarantine season, is getting to interact with my kids kind of around their drawings and around their creations. And while it's amazing to see the progress throughout the years, my favorite thing has always been to hear them explain what it is that I'm looking at. Dad, 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 look what I made. It's a tent for my guy that is also a spaceship and is a dishwasher. See, in their minds, all you have to do is move one thing from here to the other side or wrap this differently around and it completely changes and transforms the function. And then you just put it back like this. So I'm going to do that a little bit this morning. I've been weaving this idea of our lives of worship as a ship, this image of a ship, and our gatherings together for worship as a harbor, a port, with prayer being what anchors us in place while we unload the fruit of prayer in our lives and resupply along with everyone else gathered. And so we've explored how properly securing the anchor enables us to participate. But I want to deepen this a little bit. And it's going to require putting a little dual functionality into our anchor, similar to how my kids do with their drawings and creations, okay? If prayer is the anchor of our worship when docked, keeping us secured in place while we engage with worship, preparing us to offload and receive the good grace that God has planned for us when the ship, ship sets sail and the anchor is hauled back on board, it transforms into the ropes and ties and stays that keep our newly loaded cargo secured on deck. I don't have to convince you that life is full of danger, tumult, and pain. With everything going on in our world this year, it seems to prove the point that the effects of sin on the world seem to continue to deepen and create dangerous storms that threaten to capsize, even submerge our attempts to live whole lives of worship for God. And if we're trying to hold the cargo down by a force of will, family, we will lose it. Prayer keeps us connected to God. Praying the same way that we do in preparation for corporate worship secures the truth about God and allows us to grow and deepen as we journey between gatherings. Prayer grows our excitement to be together and intentionally sets our expectations to give as a way of receiving. Prayer allows our participation in worship to be a deep enjoyment of God and encouragement to one another. Prayer provides strength to our practice of worship throughout the week which inherently leads into our preparation for the coming gathering of the body. Do you see it? The way that prayer guards our worship throughout the week will set us up to prepare for the coming week's gathering. It will set us up to practice worship the following week after. So as we seek to apply us, I just, I just want to give us a few practical steps to go by. First, begin with prayer. I know that's probably shocking. It's going to be like six weeks of application that starts with prayer, okay? Ask God to show you 
how you need to grow in an understanding that prayer is the means by which you prepare to come to worship. You can start by praying Psalm 139.23 in light of Jeremiah 17.9 and 10. Here's, here's what Jeremiah 17.9 and 10 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And so in light of that, pray Psalm 139.23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. We'll pray Psalm 19 that Houston read earlier. There are probably going to be as many different results of that prayer as there are people watching right now. Perhaps you're going to see your need to repent of self-focus when it comes to gathering with the body. Ask God to fill you with love for others. Pray 1 Corinthians 13. It might be a good place to start. It's housed in the context of the church gathering, even as frequently as it's used for weddings. It's about the church Perhaps you'll need to confess busyness, a busyness that's minimized this gathering to just kind of an optional space. More often than you know that is good for you. Maybe especially, hey, it's a beautiful Sunday morning. We'll just catch up later. There's freedom there, but catch up. Don't let it just drift. You need to be here. Ask God to give you his heart. He longs to receive worship from his people and to minister through the worship of his people. You can pray through Colossians 3, 12 through 17, that we've referenced a couple of times. And I would say, just as a general application, if you find yourself lacking in understanding the implication of God's presence with his people, which is what this gathering is all about, specifically how it shapes community, how it shapes fellowship, how it shapes evangelism, I cannot encourage you enough to read slowly through the Psalms of Ascents. And if you read one of them every day, it'll take you about two weeks to get through the whole set. As you read, pray that God would help you to take his truth and apply it to your prayerful preparation for the gathering of the body on Sunday mornings. And I think that now, even in this scattered sense that we have, this is more needed than ever. There's less tangible things for us to kind of pull on and hook from. Pray that God would anchor you and secure you with his promises as you seek to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and speak of Jesus. I've been praying for you, Vine family, leading up to this, and I want to pray and ask God's help for you now as we close. Would you join me? God, you are amazing in the way that you have designed us to live, in the way that you have given us physical dimension and spiritual substance. So God, I pray that you would continue to deepen our sense of your love for us, to deepen our sense of how we are to belong to you and be in community with you. God, we long to benefit from the gathered body in person. And so, Father, I cry out to you, may it be soon. God, we pray for our leaders who are trying to sort out what to do and what policies are right. God, would you help our hearts as we seek to submit to them in a way that is full of faith in you. So, God, as you give discernment and direction, I pray that this would grow in our hearts a seed of faith to trust you to pray 
without fear, that you would help us to learn to be with the gathered body and worship better so that we can start practicing in our living rooms and that when we come together, there would be fruit ready to burst from the branches. God, thank you that you are Lord of all. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us to lives lived like Jesus for you, enabled by your spirit. Jesus, we pray in your name and ask all these things. Amen.